0: All right, this uh, intro is being recorded after the fact. It's several hours after the show wrapped, and uh, Chef, Chef Conor Esser is here. Yes, I am. And Hello. It, it's a little noisy because I got inspired, I got hungry, and I couldn't resist. I, I'm here. In your restaurant, here at Kitchen Door. Delicious. You came to the right place. I could not could not resist. After we had our conversation, which these lovely listeners are about to hear, I, I had to come. I had to come eat your food. All right, so what did you, you order? Oh, tonight I had the mussels in the Thai green curry. I had a little mushroom pizza. I had some banh mi. I had some, uh, as my kids call, gooey pasta. Oh, wow. I had eclectic. A I, had, I ate everything and wrapped up with some of the delicious a soft serve ice cream sundae.
1: Can't be. That Strauss Strauss's
0: good stuff. No, and I'm looking at some of these jars of fermenting things that we're going to be, the listeners are going to hear us talking about in just a few moments. I also had a carafe of some
1: fabulous Judd's Hill Rose. So thank you for having that. Oh, that's tremendous. I, it's on for other reasons besides that we, we enjoy it here as well after hours. <laughs> well, th- Oh, that's good to hear. Thank
0: you. All right. So we're about to hear the two of us in conversation in this show. In the meantime, I would like to invite everybody to come visit me at the family winery Jud's. Hill at the south end of Silverado Trail. Visiting information is at Judshill.com. While you're online, you can check out our fun videos, you can see what events are coming up, you can see what wines are available for us to send to you, and as a little perk for being a listener, Type in coupon code JNVS for Judd's Napa Valley Show, all in lowercase letters, please. And you'll receive 15% off your entire wine order. And if you want a better deal than that, you can join the Judd's Hill Wine Club anytime, day or night, online, as our announcer, Lauren Mole would say. It's free to join. You're guaranteed all the wines, invitations to fun events. And I would just uh, love to have you as part of that. You'll have a good time, guaranteed. I want to invite you down to Kitchen Door as well, where...
1: Connor Esser. And the whole team is, uh, well, what are you going to do? You're going to show them a good time also, aren't you? Uh, That is our goal in life. So please come on down here in the Oxbow Market, First Street here in Napa. Fabulous.
2: And now, on with the show. Everyone's a fingal friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Get ready for another heap Of fascinating things to know. From witty and intriguing people. On Judd's Napa Valley Show, no sales script and no rehearsing. Live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person. On Judd's Napa Valley Show Pardon me, I'll have a Chardonnay A marvelous date, it's hard to say I know we never talk about the Sauvignon Blanc It's a must-have on the podcast It's Judd's Napa Valley Show the You can't ease this flow If I elaborate over a Cabernet My buddy's the truth You should study my man Juddy And learn something new And now live from Broadcast Park in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley show. I'm Lauren Mole and here's your host, Judd Finkelstein! Good morning, Mr. Lauren Mole. How are you today, sir?
0: Doing fine, Judd. Top of the day. Top of the day. It is a another
2: gorgeous day in here,
0: here in Napa Valley. Looking out the the blooms are blooming, spring has sprung. People are sneezing and eyes are watery. <laughs> oh, man. That's the other side of beautiful Napa Valley springtime or the allergies. But, Allergy uh, season, yeah. But folks are learning to cope here. Tell me about you. You must have some big plans. You I always have- do. That's the only reason I bring it up. You, you must have a gig. You're probably singing at a big stadium or
2: at a uh, community event. What's happening? Well, today at 11 o'clock at the Villas at the Meadows and then later today at, one, at 1.30 at the uh, Calabria Hospice, Napa Valley Voices, led by Cindy Skinner, is uh, doing performances of Wine Country's Top 20 Countdown. <laughs> I love it. With
0: you replicating the inimitable, and in this case, you... M- m- Take your time, John. Well, how do you not say inimitable? You imitate, but I was I was trying to get cutesy with it, the great Casey Kasem. Can you give us a little bit of that? I'm Casey Kasem, and the countdown continues. <laughs> Can you give us like one of the – is that what you say during the show? Uh, no. Oh, can you introduce one of the songs as – or however you would do it. Give us just a little preview. If someone were to come by Calabria Care today at one thirty, give us a little snippet of what they might hear from you, Lauren Mole, as the great radio personality
2: and uh, voice of Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, Casey Kasem. This song was recorded in the 1930s. Other artists have covered it, but it was Nat King Cole who people remember the most. At number 20 in our countdown, it's Walking My Baby Back Home. Nicely done, sir. And you know what's also interesting, Jen? What's that? Uh We're also doing a, a sentimental journey by the great uh, Doris Day, who we've oh, sadly lost. Yes. This will be the first time today at the at the village that we've performed this song since sh- uh, she passed away. Yeah, well, it'll be a very nice tribute. It will. A very nice tribute. And because... We have a performance, like I said, a Calabria, which is also an advertiser on here. Jed, I always say these are private performances, but you know what? I'm going to invite you to come.
0: Well, thank
2: you very much. One thirty.
0: All right, I, I'm going to write Calabria that Hospice. down, and I'm wow. going to check my schedule. And I get out of here. I don't get very good uh, reception here in the station, but uh, you know everything's internet based these days. I'll check my calendar. I hope to be there. That'd be nice. Sure. Thank you for the invitation. Huh. I want to see you in action.
2: Oh, you're quite welcome. Right on. Here, so, uh, so what's been going on with you, Judd? Oh, you know, just uh,
0: making a wine. It's, it's lovely. I don't want to get too much into the in. Let's see. what am... I'm looking at my notes here. You know, I don't need to mention that. I don't need to mention that. I want to get to our guests. So all I am going to mention that's right fine. now. No, no that's right. Is the Judd's Hill. That's our family winery, as you know. Our springtime bonanza is coming up Sunday. This very Sunday, May 19th. It's from noon to 2.30 at the winery at the south end of Silverado Trail, one mile north of Trancas, And it is, uh, as I said, the springtime bonanza. It is a benefit for Napa Valley Youth Symphony. So some of the youths, the youths will be there playing music symphonically. And there'll be all kinds of great, wonderful, enophilic treats. That means wine lover's treats. Tickets and information are available at Judshill.com. If you are a Juds Hill Wine Club member, which you ought to be, it's the best anywhere, it's actually free to come. So, hey, join the club. Get all the great wine. Get notice about all these fun things going on. So, again, that's this Sunday, May 19th at noon, the Juds Hill Springtime Bonanza benefiting Napa Valley Youth Symphony. judshill.com.
2: Hope to see you there. Let's meet our guest. Do we admire this man's talent? The answer is a hearty yes, sir. In fact, we put him up there on par with Judd's hairdresser. Creativity, he's a pitchin. Behind the grand door of his kitchen, a local food processor, Chef Connor Esser. Connor Esser. Good morning. Good morning. How are you,
0: man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm well. It's nice to see you. You are one of these guys that a lot of people know around town, and even if they don't know you, they probably would know you by sight. Because these days, and you have been for years, and we're going to get into this, well, these days you are the chef de cuisine at Kitchen Door, a that, Todd Humphrey restaurant.
1: That sounds about correct, yeah. <laughs>
0: oh, you're going to agree that you are the <laughs> yes, chef that, de cuisine that's at Kitchen accurate. Door? That's an accurate statement. Okay, good. And that is at the Oxbow Public Market. And it's an open kitchen, so folks get to see you in action. They see you, you know, you're back there, you're flipping pizzas out of the oven, you're rotissering chicken, and you're yelling things like, you know, 86, the Bon Me, you know, you sold too many, or, you know, things like that. That's you.
1: Yes, yes, it is, and hopefully you know sometimes it might be too much of an open kitchen, and maybe they see a little too much of the drama that goes back there, but that's just part of it. That's part
0: of it well let's get into that uh let's let's just talk about you for a minute as a as a person. I've known you for many years. I've never really sat down and had this type of conversation. We've talked about single subjects which we're going to get into because we share some common interests, but it's gonna be fun to get to know you 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 have you've been. Here in Napa Valley, quite some time cooking, but you're not originally from here. You're a Washington State guy. You're wearing your Cougars long sleeve T-shirt right now. You often I am. are.
1: I am wearing I am. some. I'm a diehard Cougar. That's 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 me for sure. That's your alma mater. That is my alma mater, Washington State University in Pullman, Washington. And you grew up nearby. I was born and raised about two blocks from the football stadium, <laughs> and uh, my mother was a professor uh, at, at the college. Yeah. And Grew up, you know, courtside with my dad watching the Cougs play basketball. Wow, you still get up there for uh, events and games. And- Last game I saw, Clay Thompson was playing. So that's how oh, long it's been. Okay, wow. Well, that's that's a good one to see. Uh, it, was, it was. It was a blast.
0: I'm told he's made a name for himself. You know,
1: I think he's doing all right. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't need the degree, I guess. <laughs> well, it'll serve him well once uh, he retires out of professional a- sports. Absolutely.
0: Do we know what his degree was in? Does it matter? You know, I think he just did a lot of. Uh, Hooping. Hooping.
1: Okay. How about you? When you went there, did you study the culinary arts? So I actually studied hospitality business management. Oh. I minored in Spanish, which became tremendously... uh, Okay, bueno. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it it really has helped me along the way. I'm sure it has. Uh, But I was always working in kitchens uh, since I was 16. Started as a dishwasher. Now, okay, you mentioned your mother was a professor. Yes. Involved with food at all. What about home? Was
0: was it a, a cooking family? Like, did you get a lot of chances to cook with the family did it absolutely. start as a
1: young age oh absolutely in fact it was one of my chores when i think i was about 12 uh was once a week to make dinner for the family and oh think, you know my mom saw that i enjoyed that and so it became more and more my responsibility to throw something together and
0: do you have any memories of a certain uh maybe menu that you put together that really clicked with the family when you said, oh, yeah, this is happening for me. I think I'm going to
1: continue down this road. I think one of our family favorites is – Tacos, gringo. You know the old <laughs> the old ground beef taco with shredded <laughs> iceberg lettuce and, yeah. and, and shredded cheddar cheese. I mean, and you a can't crunchy beat that. shell. Absolutely. Well, you know, Dad would he would sometimes really get fancy with it and fry his own tostadas, and oh. that would just elevate the dish to a whole other level. You know,
0: that sounds like my dad. He would take something that could seem mundane to many, and just like one little touch, like taking a tortilla and actually heating up some oil. Which to me seemed amazing. Like, wow, you can
1: actually make crunchy tortillas? I thought you'd go buy those in a bag or a box. Right. And, and it's just, it really does. It gives it a whole different uh, depth of flavor to the dish when you fry your own tostadas. Indeed. And at least when I would see my father do something like that, it
0: showed me that, oh, there are possibilities here. You can be creative and um, you know put your own spin to elevate something. Absolutely. So, so was that it? Was that how you got into cooking? What was your pathway?
1: You know, that's part of it. I, I grew up in a family that, you know, would make things from scratch very, very often. Yeah. My grandparents would pickle and can and preserve as much as they could. My grandpa had a garden that would feed the whole neighborhood and oh, wow. grandma would preserve and can anything that they didn't give away. And uh, it just just kind of growing up in that atmosphere, you get really accustomed to the taste of homemade mm-hmm. and, sure. you know, uh, what a real garden tomato tastes like and, and what a real homemade pickle tastes like. So important. I think a lot of folks take food for granted, you know, especially
0: if you don't live in an agricultural area. And I mentioned this before, and I don't think she minds, but my, my lovely wife has said, like, until she moved here from Southern California, it was never really thought of. Like, it, it didn't even occur to her to think about where this food came from, uh, carrots came from the produce aisle and you know of a, a hamburger came from a package and the butcher it, it just she never really saw anything growing until we started a garden and had our kids you know plant seeds and watched it grow and, and it was like, aha, this makes a big difference. We can really affect uh, good habits in kids by knowing where their food comes from
1: and, and appreciating that. Yeah, I think it's incredibly important. And, you know, that growing up in Pullman, Pullman is a small college town, but it's also in the middle of a massive agricultural area. Mm. And so getting to see what different crops look like, you know, it wasn't like down here in California, but it was, you know, wheat and barley and lentils and garbanzas. Uh. And you see all these different fields growing up. And, you know, my dad would teach me what when we're driving. Oh, well, that's a pea field. That's a lentil field. And you get to see what these things look like. Growing on these scales, but then you also get to go to grandpa's house and see his garden. And, well, that's what sweet corn looks like. And that's what a real tomato looks like. And here's a cherry tree that you can climb up in and and just spend all day eating cherries. And taste the fruit and the vegetables like right there, like pick it and 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 eat it. Eat it with dirt on it. And that's the way it it tastes (laughs) the best to me. I mean, a carrot really just pulled straight from the ground with a little bit of uh, nice soil on it still. It just tastes better than something that's been sanitized and sent to the produce aisle. There's something to that, and getting to discover the different types of carrots that blew
0: my mind. Even having grown up here and knowing that you can grow carrots, the first time I looked through a heirloom seed catalog when I wanted to plant my own garden as an adult with my kids, I mean, I think there were there were dozens and dozens, red carrots, orange carrots, purple carrots, rainbow carrots, carrots, all of that, of different names and, and different shapes, and it was so fun. I think we did a whole garden bed with about eight. Nine, ten different carrots in it, and had a little taste test that spring and summer. Fun. It's incredibly fun,
1: eye opening. So, okay, you you grow up. Actually, what, what was your mom a professor of? I didn't even ask she you. She was a professor of uh, pharmacology and toxicology. Whoa! Yeah, she's a smart lady. What is that? I,
0: I, she like, would train. Was...
1: She would train pharmacists. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh. and, and she would you know teach the fun nerdy classes to all these different kids, uh, uh-huh. undergrad, and then into grad school, and. Uh, so at
0: a at a, as a at a young age, you were aware of what you should be putting in your body and what you shouldn't be. Oh yeah, she she she, that was, she trains was, you to be a chef, right? Very much so, in in a certain way. And she was a, a qualified chef in her own right. Okay, great. okay. So you're in the right house to get you on the path that you followed. You you grow up, you get into school, you get in the hospitality
1: path with business, which is. A really good thing to know about, yeah. I believe Even it or kitchen. not, restaurants are a business. It, yeah, it, some people this just blows their minds, but they the idea is to actually make some money. <laughs> and how did you decide that in the kitchen is where you wanted to be? You know, I think I just I had been doing it for so long, just cooking with my family, yeah. and then I started as a dishwasher. Just and just where is this? Sixteen. This is at the my friend's mom's restaurant in Pullman, downtown. And, and just, what type of place? It was paint the picture. You know, it was a it was kind of a bistro style place. Yeah. It was at the time it was the nicest restaurant in Pullman, oh, which isn't okay. saying much but it, but it was also a really really nice spot that people would go for special occasions yeah. and we would take my mom for a birthday and things like that okay oh, good, good and it was just a fun place with a kind of an eclectic menu and you know simple but honest food all right so you had that
0: i uh, did atmosphere
1: yeah. around you, you know i i started as a dishwasher went to prep started working stations when i was 17 18 mm-hmm. kept working throughout college you know i'd go work nights or i'd work weekends and did it, you, did you have a goal in mind at that point at the time i I didn't really you know i just i was i was doing college and I was just enjoying working in the kitchen you know and like a lot of young cooks i I read uh Bourdain's kitchen confidential yes and it's it it is kind of a an eye opening book for a young cook. it gives you a whole different perspective of what the world's like mm-hmm. and you know it wasn't like that for me at this at this particular restaurant, but... Is this why... Was he an influence
0: on you to study Spanish, by the way? Because he does make a big deal in that book. Was kitchen off or the, or the follow-up? But in one of the books, I read him, I just confused which one's which, he really gives the proper, I think, credit to the uh, Mexican population for for not only supporting, but somewhat creating the food culture that
1: we have in the United States. Oh, absolutely. In, uh, if, it, he, he's right in, in, in a lot mm-hmm. of what he said about, you know... Having people from Central America, Mexico come and, you know, make Italian pastries better than the Italian grandma does. And it's it's an amazing thing to see. He talks about it as like part of the DNA is to be – these great cooks and chefs.
0: Yes. So was that influential to learn Spanish? Did you say, all right, if I'm going to make it in the restaurant biz, I got to know
1: Spanish. You too. know, I'd taken Spanish since I think I was a freshman <laughs> oh, in high okay. school. So and, a little before. And I just, you know, I, I wanted to really follow through. It's not something you can learn in four years of one no. class a day. You know? no, it, no, 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 it, it takes real immersion. And even, even with a Spanish minor in college, I still felt I, I needed more, you know, and, and it's, it's a lifelong learning process to learn a new language. You know, if you don't start when you're a child, Indeed,
0: which is uh, which is something to heed, and certainly you know I try to encourage that in my my own kids. You know, speak Spanish. We have a babysitter that they've had forever, and we ask her just speak Spanish to them. They'll learn English just growing up here. Could, could you just speak Spanish? And it served them well. We traveled in Mexico, and our kids were you know helping us, and I'm pretty okay, but they were way ahead of me down there. Oh, they'll soak it up like a sponge if you exactly. start me. Exactly. Okay, so. You get to college, you're doing hospitality, you're doing business, you're doing Spanish. The restaurant business calls to you. And what is your first pro gig? Like what happens after that?
1: Well, actually, so I, I graduate with my hospitality degree. And yeah. the director of my program actually happened to be on the board of directors down here at CIA in St. Helena. Ah. And so he said, you know, they've got this new program for people with a four-year degree. You should go check it out. It's down in sunny California. <laughs> it's the Mecca of food at the time. And, uh, it, you know, that really was attractive to me. It seemed exciting, and I'd lived in Pullman my whole life. Mm. And it was time to get out and, and just kind of see what else was out there. And so I, I came down, and it, funny enough, my the chef at the restaurant that I'd been working at had been coming down to St. Helena for their week-long seminars at CIA right. and, you know, checking out the different restaurants in the area. And she'd come back, oh, look at this sauce that I learned at CIA. It was really fun. And just in case, CIA in this case means... Well, it, this means the Culinary Institute of America. Exactly. I have been recruited by the other one, but that oh. well that we'll save that for another show. Oh, okay. Well, I'll look forward to or that. Or later in the show. Yeah, well, uh, let me write that down. Okay. But so, yes, she says uh she says well, you you should check it out, you know, it's a really fun little cute town and St. Helena.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I you know, never even knew it existed. Came down, did this did the 9-month program. And the first week I'm here, she, my old chef, happened to be down here for one of those classes, and she says, well, this is, there's this restaurant that I've been coming to every time I come down, and you have to go there. And so she brings me to this restaurant, and I've never seen anything like this, you know, this this level of quality, this level of farm-to-table, and just beautiful property also. yeah. And give a little shout-out, because I can't. Martini House was yeah, the course. restaurant. I just was so blown away by everything that was going on at that menu and and. and Everything with that. And this is Chef Todd Humphreys in charge of that? Chef Todd Humphreys, absolutely. And so I I do my nine-month program. One of my chef instructors says, you know, hey, your Spanish is pretty good, but it could be a lot better. (laughs) I've got a lot of friends down in South America who you could go pal around with. So I went down to uh, Chile and Peru for a couple months after I graduated CIA just to kind of tighten it up. Studied Spanish,
0: but you also explored the food scene down there. You visited, you know, like a... Uh, some farms. I did. Some, I did. I got some, to see
1: artisan foie gras made in yeah. Chile, which was a really interesting thing. I got to see Javali, which is kind of a wild boar, yeah. domesticated wild boar, the, the the woolly ones where they're using those yeah. to make prosciutto de parma in a ways that, you know, there's a lot of Italian colonies down in South America mm. and, and there were in Chile. And these guys are all, they have Italian last names, but they speak Spanish. And right. they're doing charcuterie in the styles of their grandfathers back in Italy. And so wow. it was just really interesting food scene down there to to kind of check out. And it it got me really excited about everything. And, yeah, you know, halfway through my, my little culinary externship, I kind of realized that at some point I'm going to have to come back to reality. And so I shot <laughs> uh, Chef Todd a, an email just saying, hey, I'm this young punk down here I'm in, in – uh, heading to Machu Picchu, and uh, when I'm done with that, I'd love to come to at your restaurant. And he must have said yes,
0: because I know you've been associated with him for quite some time now.
1: He did. He said, I don't have any room for you right now, but oh. I'm going to start you out uh, in pastry, which was exciting had, for me too. Had you done that before? No, I'd never done that. And that, that's oh. the thing about, I, I think I'd tell any young cook, is anything that you're not comfortable with, that's what you should be doing. Mm. Good, good advice. So that it, I was... I was thrilled. I was thrilled just to just get my foot in the door. Accept you know? the challenge and prove yourself. Absolutely. That way. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I spent the first several months at Martini House working the pastry station, which was challenging, to say mm. the least. Uh, learning things. It takes a lot of discipline, which at the time, and even still, I'm, I'm not the most disciplined cook. <laughs> I, you know, I can think, at least
0: it wasn't an open kitchen. You were doing, you know, if you were suffering at all or having your bad days, you were hidden. You know, I remember they had a little window, and once in a while, you'd see. Todd's face kinda of peek through the window and look out at the, scan the dining room and you could see either he would like give a smile, see what's going on, or he have like a a glower, like, uh oh, I've yeah. sensed something's happening. You never could really tell, but it was fun to see his face pop through the window once in a while. But yeah, you, he, but you he were—he smiles more now these days. I think. <laughs> I'm think. i not saying he wasn't normally smiling; he just he wasn't really that It was um, what are those things with that? Anyway, that's another thing. There was like an old toy where the face would change, and the, I can't think of what it's called. But ah. It was like that. Let's see what. Let's see what he's gonna. Anyhow, but that took a little pressure off. At least you weren't out like amongst the diners
1: like you are now it's a definite it's a different feel than than kitchen door that's for sure
0: i'm gonna jump around just for a sec so how do you how do you cope with that like being in full view every moment that you're cooking now as you are in kitchen door i mean there's no hiding you are standing right there and the next
1: table is four feet away three feet away yeah it is you're you're right there community table is right there in my in my uh full view and i'm in full view of them it took some getting used to to be honest you know uh to be expediting, to be calling out tickets and, and, and trying to run the show while you have a whole restaurant full of people can feel a little awkward because you sometimes feel like you're imposing on their dining experience. I could see that in some places, but the fact that you call it kitchen door and, that was and, the,
0: and the atmosphere as if you're in somebody's kitchen, I think people expect that. And I've never heard any guest of mine, whether it's a visiting friend you know, or just – Relative, my family. My family loves it. I mean, the kids love it because it's a little boisterous, and they, you know, they can run around a little bit. And their people get really excited. I'm not kidding. Hearing you yell out things like, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, yell something out. I'm thinking, you know. Uh, what did I say before? You know, ribs uh right on the hold, chicken dinner. Hold, hold the mushrooms. Uh. Drop plates. Yeah, and you're I was supposed.
1: To, I said sauce on side. All right, I said that four times. I reviewed that.
0: <laughs> and you're yelling these things out loud, and and it's heard throughout the time. It is, and and, and and part and you, of the
1: excitement. You try to remember that this is an audience, and it is in fact a family, you know, restaurant, and that Jud's kids might be within, um, you know, well, the kindness distance. Kids. The yes. kindness kids. Yes. Thank
0: you, Lauren, and. And I know that is part of restaurant culture. You hear oftentimes kitchens are not the, at least language-wise, the most pristine place. They, you know, of course, you want hygiene is important. But, Absolutely. But the language, uh, chefs kind of have this reputation of being, you know, foul Like It's like a mouth of a sailor, a mouth like a chef. But you guys keep it under control. You've, is
1: well, that we, part of your we training? Have, we have hood vents that have a pretty good draw that, you know, if, <laughs> if, if I turn and I, and I just face at just the right angle – You know, the saute cook can hear me. You can let loose with your expletives. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you have have a nice demeanor about you. Like,
0: you always look like you're enjoying yourself, even when you might be yelling. It doesn't show. Well, it's... You seem to have getting used fun. to being on stage. I, I,
1: I couldn't work fourteen hours a day if I was sitting at a desk doing it. That yeah. that would probably kill my soul. But and,
0: and is this a fourteen hour gig?
1: It can be. Oh. Uh Sunday Sunday, Mother's Day brunch, I, I was there for about fifteen hours. Oh my goodness. That was a long one. You must have been slammed. It was crazy. You know, I think we probably did about four hundred and seventy covers, something like that, between oh. in, in about six hours, you know, and that's That sounds like a lot. It, that is a lot for a seventy five seat restaurant. That's a lot of turns, that's a lot of movements, and you know, and some people will say, well you're just cooking eggs, and that's true. But I'd like, you know, I'd like to just point out that when you're cooking that many eggs, and this guy wants his eggs uh, yeah. over easy, this guy wants his over hard. These are supposed to be over medium, and, and I would like my eggs to be coddled. Uh, uh, it, it, it gets, who amongst us doesn't want to be coddled? Uh, and yeah, and especially you know, getting your eggs coddled is a nice way to start your <laughs> morning. I, I get that. That sure sounds
0: like a euphemism, although in this case, it's not. We got to take a break. We've got Chef Connor Esser, chef de cuisine at Kitchen Door here in Napa. We'll take a little break when we come back. We are going to we're going to talk about all kinds of other fun things. So stick around. This this guy is
2: multifaceted, and we're going to peel away some layers. You're listening to Judd's Napa Valley Show. We'll be right back after these messages. La, 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 la. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode a veritable cornucopia of finkel fun. Just Napa Valley Show. Just Napa Valley Show. Just Napa Valley Show. Just Napa Valley Show. You're listening to Just Napa Valley Show. You're listening to 1440 KVON, the voice of Napa Valley. Now Back to Judd's Napa Valley Show.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Lauren Mole. Our guest is Chef de Cuisine at Kitchen Door here in Napa. It's Connor Esser. Uh, We were talking about how you started with Chef Todd Humphrey. Oh, by the way, Kitchen Door, a Todd Humphrey restaurant. That is correct. That's what it says on the side. Yeah,
1: that's exactly how you should refer to the restaurant. He demands
0: that it's referred to that way, right? No.
1: I would never say that on
0: there. He's cool. He's cool. So we were talking – where were we? Uh, We're talking food, of course, your path with a chef up at Martini House coming down – actually, before we even get into that, it looks like you have a little something. What what do we – Oh, I do, yeah. Yeah, what what is that? Well, so this is is a bag. All right, Judd, this is a duffel bag. It's a very nice, solid, large duffel
1: bag. It is. It's – Black. Black Nike. It is from the Sports Commission Best Ball Tournament, a golfing – Competition. And oh. This has never been used, but it's what's in it. I think oh. that's more interesting. Okay. Oh, he's Lauren. He is. He's slowly it unzipping. He's wonder, teasing us. I
2: wonder what's inside. Oh. oh, what we have here
1: is a little heritage. This is look at this that. is heirloom. Okay, this is my grandpa Harold and my grandma Jean's dilly beans. Whoa. Okay? Two mason jars. These look like are uh, these pint. Pint jars. Those are
0: pint jars. Pint jars full of what looked like pickled green beans,
1: or maybe some dill weed in there. Yeah, you had some dill yeah. weed. The head when it goes to seed. You got some. Yeah, garlic. There's a, there's a chili and pepper, got garlic, some hot pepper in there. Yep. Whoa. And so these are from my childhood. My grandpa would grow, as I said, way too many vegetables, and um, grandma would just try to keep up with canning, and so she would do these dilly beans. And you know, as a kid, I never really understood why my friends always said your pickles are always the best. Like, can we just have more pickles? And I just well, <laughs> I thought that's what a pickle tasted like. Isn't that great? It is. This is one of the favorite snacks from childhood. And these are grandma's dilly beans. And they're just delicious. It, you know, you can have them with a charcuterie platter or just eat them straight out of the jar. A little bit spicy, nice and briny. Just a fun snack. And these ones actually come from my Napa garden, my small little backyard garden. I, I do grow some uh, various varieties of, beans yeah and uh, I just wanted to keep that tradition going so I do I do kind of follow my grandpa's uh, heritage with it with the old dilly beans I can't wait to try one there's two jars one one of these jars is for Judd the Fink Fink oh (laughs) okay
0: I accept and I gratefully appreciate that thank you very much my pleasure and one we can give away to a listener absolutely all right listener if you would like a jar of chef Connor Esser's grandpa's Dilly beans be the first to tweet you got to use Twitter with the hashtag JNVS for Judd's Napa Valley show and then put at Jud's Hill all as one word that way I'll see it immediately. I'll take these back to the uh, tasting room at Jud's Hill one mile north of Trinkus on Silverado Trail where it will be waiting for you till Friday. Today is Tuesday. I'm only hanging on to this till Friday. If no one uh, claims it by then. The staff, the fine folks at Jud's Hill, will be enjoying these beans as well. So, and I'll share some of mine with them too. But thank you very much. I could see. I haven't tasted this yet, but I'm already imagining uh, shaking up a martini. Absolutely. I like either. Well, for something like this, I would use probably a London dry gin. Napa Valley Distillery makes a really nice straight ahead gin with one end. They also make a gin with two ends. It's very botanical, but they make a gin with one end. I think you can get it over at Lawler's or maybe straight from them. A little Dolan uh, dry vermouth. And then instead of the olive, I could see stirring the martini with one of these beans just to get a touch of the uh,
1: the brine in Absolutely. there. Absolutely. I think that – without even tasting it, I know that would be delicious. I could just tell you this is my sister's favorite dirty martini trick is uh, a, a, a vodka martini yeah. made a little bit dirty with a couple well, – or, or a generous helping of the, of the brine itself yeah. is, is great. The beans themselves are the perfect garnish – for a Bloody man. Oh, yeah. oh w- without saying. I mean, oh, that looks wonderful. I can't wait to
0: try it. I don't go full dirty with my martini, but a little stir. Mm. Yes, that sounds there you go. appropriate. All right, let's get back to you, sir. You were at Martini House. There was a move, and this I thought was pretty remarkable. It looked like pretty much the whole team at Martini House moved when it closed and opened kitchen door. Oftentimes, a restaurant closes and people go their separate ways and start other projects or go over here and do something. But it was quite intact at least from my point of view a lot of the
1: same people showed right back up at kitchen door we were a pretty close knit family yeah the martini house family i mean we were I'm still in contact with so many people that worked with us there and uh and we were we were fortunate to have a large part of the management staff come down from martini house to open up kitchen door and and a lot of the cooks too i mean it was it was a very uh nice succession to yeah. have you know prep cooks that you knew for years and my mentor, Chef Litz, he was, he was the chef de cuisine, and, and just, you know, to bring that body down with us, Tim Seberson, the general manager. Great guy. Uh, all, all good people, and it, it just it gives a little bit of forward momentum, you know, when you kind of jump off with, with a crew that's already worked together. Oh, no doubt, and I often uh, mention
0: when I'm recommending – because people come in the winery all the time, and it's, it's a place I recommend to eat, and I say, you know, they had Martini House, Michelin Star, the whole bit – and, like, the same team is still there, and you can get it here in Napa at this much more much more casual setting. But, the, you know, same people in the kitchen cooking up this delicious food and same people on the floor. It's, it's just a great spot. So I can't recommend it highly enough, and I always appreciate um, what's there because you have a great variety of food. There's something for everybody. And then even if they don't see something, you guys are so flexible. You're not one of these places that say, you know, no, chef demands you try it. The way no, no. It's that... designed. You're pretty good about making accommodations, and it, it's it's great, and everything's always delicious. You talked about the fresh from the garden and pickling and experimenting. You've gotten very into fermenting things.
1: Yes, indeed. You know, and it, it,
0: it always... We're not talking wine. We're in Napa, but we're no. going to talk about fermenting things other than grapes right We can, now.
1: Yeah, we can do that, too. And you can tie it in with your agriculture. Sure. You know, it's it, it always amazes me how things become full circle, you know? Fermenting is the new hippest and hottest things in the world of chefs. Yeah. But fermenting has been going on for as long as people figured out how to cultivate food. Thousands and thousands. Thousands of of years. years. It is the oldest way of preserving, You know, fermenting, salting, drying, things Mm -hmm. like that. And fermenting is just – it's a natural way to keep your food longer. And it it does give a a different flavor, a different profile to the vegetable that you're fermenting. Which people find to be very desirable. Sauerkraut's an example. Oh, I'm a fan. I've always loved sauerkraut, kimchi, kimchi, on it, and on. It's a there's a huge difference between pickled sauerkraut, which is what you buy in the store in a in a glass jar, mm-hmm. uh, that it, it just it's just white vinegar, salt, and cabbage. Yeah. That has a completely different flavor than does lacto fermented sauerkraut, which is the real old school German way of doing it, where you put some salt, two percent by weight, and you mash up your cabbage, keep you let talking, it sit. I'm just getting something ready here. I see you. Something's happening keep, keep, here. Keep talking but no, it's, Keep it's, talking. It, it changes the way the cabbage tastes, and it gives it this wonderful background. And now, you know, in, in the day of the hipsters, it is probiotic, and so it's good for your gut health and all these wonderful things that oh, the hipsters are, are into. All these great health benefits. I'm going to put you on the spot. You
0: just heard me grabbing a paper bag. You inspired me. Okay. A few months ago, you showed me this beautiful ceramic fermentation crock in which you were making some kimchi. Indeed. Now, this thing is amazing. You can put in your veggies. It ferments in there under weights, and there's an airlock, so nothing gets uh, in, but the gas gets out. Oh, look at this. So I went ahead. Oh, (laughs) little little drip here. That's okay. I'll just put it on the bag. It's going to be delicious. Um, I went ahead. This is my very first batch. Let's see. This has been about this is a week in the fermenter, okay, and it's been about now three weeks in the fridge. So we'll see. I'm excited. We'll see. I took it out. I thought about a week was good, crunchy. This is just cabbage and salt. Yep, that's the way that's to do it. it. And then just a week in the fermenter. So what I'm hoping is you can give this a taste, and then offer me. And you could, if you like it, if it's still good, you can hold on to this. That's that's for you. It's a little trade. If you don't like it. I can take the critique. We're going to watch. He's digging in. He's got a little.
1: It has the right smell. I can yeah. just tell you that right now. I was pleased. It's got that wonderful, funky smell that you want in a fermented food. Now, let me see here. Okay. This is the Fink's own just cabbage and salt. That's it. Left to ferment. It's All the juice is its own natural juice. You got it. I mean, it. it is there. It is yeah. sour and it is crowdy. <laughs> He's going for another bite. That's a good sign.
0: Anything you would do, has it been in the fridge too long now? Like how long can some – I know you put it in the fridge to kind of – to Slow down the fermentation. It slows it down. It doesn't completely stop it. So it, it continues to evolve in there. When I put it in, to me it was like perfect, but that's already been a couple weeks ago. Right. Well, what, what temperature did you ferment this at? Ambient, you know, just – On your kitchen on counter. On the kitchen counter. So it hasn't been that hot over the past few
1: weeks. Right. Another way you can do it, and it's, it's delicious, but you can go longer. You could go like six weeks. Oh, yeah. But you could put it in your wine room. That's a good way of doing it. You can okay. lower the temperature and extend the fermentation time. You get a little bit more flavor, and it could it could get more sour. Okay. I like that
0: idea. I have a second batch going. I just realized uh, today, before I checked on it, and uh, I think it turned on me. I wasn't paying close enough attention. I don't think I – I probably should have added a little water. It mm-hmm. dried out on top, and it was getting a sulfury, funky smell. I tasted it after a few days. And it was delicious. I added some caraway and juniper to the similar. Very nice. And it was delicious, but now it's it's gone funky on me. So. And that'll happen. And, yeah. you, and you and you just start over. Learning process.
1: That's what it is.
0: Well, thank you for trying that and letting me know I'm
1: on the right track. Thank you for sharing. And uh, that is my gift to you. If you'd like to take I'm the rest take of that, that home. sauerkraut Absolutely.
0: Home, stop at Saks on the way back I and put say, that on your hot dog. And
1: I'll be a hot dog and we're there. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Excellent. sir
0: you've got some cool stuff. Do you want to talk about some of your inspirations in fermenting or in general? Do you want to get back to agriculture? What do you want to talk about for a couple minutes?
1: Well, sure. I we have been trying to work on a f- fermentation program and and you know, Todd is really into the Asian style. So he's been doing his kimchi. Yeah. They're and good. They're really good. They're fun, you know, and he can do, you know, different op- Traditional kimchi or some less traditional kim- kimchi, I, I think all of that stuff is fun. Uh, one thing I just got into is what's called tepache, which is yes. a, a Mexican ferment. It's
0: delicious. And
1: and it's used um, – you know, Mexico and Central America. It's very simple. It's it's using your byproduct of cutting open a pineapple. You cut open pineapple. You take out – you know, cut the, all that rind off. And there's so much rind. It's about 50 percent of the pineapple by mm. the time you're done trimming it down. And you can eat all the flesh. But then what do you do with the skins? Well, some very innovative chefs back in the day figured out that if you added some piloncillo, which is the Mexican brown sugar, yeah, and some water to the skins and you put it in a clay pot and you bury it about four feet underground in the hotter regions, yeah. in the cooler regions, you can just leave it on your kitchen counter, and you let it ferment for a couple of days, it turns into this really delicious, sparkling, almost like a soda, like a kombucha, yeah, uh, tepache. And in a, on a hot day in the middle of summer... Pour it over ice. It is just a wonderful, refreshing drink. And if anybody goes into Kitchen Door,
0: as we speak, there are some jars bubbling in in plain view of all the diners of this beautiful-looking pineapple uh, liquid. You can see the rinds in there, and you were nice enough to give me a little taste, and it's absolutely delicious and refreshing. You guys are serving it. You're pairing it with a... uh, Pilsner beer. Absolutely. And do you mix them together or that is, is it like the one's a back?
1: That's the way to do it. You you, you get a 12-ounce beer and a 16-ounce glass and you get a little side of, of the tapache and you just pour it right in there. Oh, and, and in Mexico, they, they would just call that a michelada. And that is how oh, – okay. So not the tomato or clemato that I'm used to seeing. doesn't is have it, to be. Oh, okay. doesn't have to be. I mean a michelada could be anything. It really just means to kind of refresh you. and mm. And this is a way of kind of lowering the alcohol so perhaps you can have more of them. And you know, making it a little more refreshing on a hot day than just than just beer.
0: What do you think, Lauren? I know you enjoy a nice cold beer once in a while. Would you add a little of this uh, fermented pineapple soda type thing to it?
2: No. Oh,
0: well, there you, you go. Purist. I, I no, get he that. He is. He's a traditionalist. We've yeah. gotten that. But uh, I'm trying to encourage him to to also, you know, venture out of the comfort zone once in a while and try try new things. I tried the pineapple. It's delicious. It tastes like a. a it's just a very refreshing, slightly bubbling. A little bit tangy because of the slight fermentation to it, yeah. but it's got sweetness to it from the pineapple juice and the brown sugar. You add that to a Pilsner beer, I can only imagine it's going to be delish.
2: Well, actually, you know, Jed, I've been wanting to try this uh, this new beer that I've recently uh, uh, bagged for a customer at Knob Hill recently. What's it's that? A, it's a special spiked beer oh. honoring uh, the late, great Arnold Palmer. Oh, sure. No, it's a famous drink. Uh,
0: the Ar- Arnold, I can't say it. Arnold, Arnold Palmer. Palmer. Well, try that. That'll be your gateway. And then you'll be open – because you're going to love it, I'm sure. And then you'll be open to coming into a kitchen door and trying a tapache with uh, Pilsner beer.
1: Okay. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, keep the options open, man. It'll be fun. Yeah, and we actually – we call it a Rattler. And so a Uh, Rattler is – harkens back to Germany back in the 20s. There was uh, this group of cyclists who would cycle around the countryside of Germany. mm -hmm. And this one particular barkeep who was very – smart in the way that he would have big parties to host these cyclists. And one day in 1922, it just happened to be a spectacularly beautiful and abnormally warm German day. And so 13,000 of these cyclists are out going around and they stop by this guy Radler's bar and they start drinking him out of beer. He realizes pretty quickly that he's running out of beer and so he needs to do something Quick or else it's going to happen. And so he starts mixing his beer 50-50 with a sparkling lemon soda that had been in the cellar for years and was not moving. Oh. The alcohol content was zero, so nobody wanted it. So he just started doing 50-50 uh, of this soda <laughs> and the beer and yeah. sure enough – the people loved it, and yeah. they said, "Hey, man, let's keep let's keep this thing going." And we'll, if you're doing we'll, heavy
0: we'll, activity like cycling, maybe less alcohol. Less alcohol, alcohol is
1: good, and it's refreshing, and you can go a couple more k- kilometers on the bike, and maybe stop at another pub on your way home. It, yeah. it, it it was a very smart move on his part. It it I'm sure improved his uh, his ratio, his margin on oh, yeah, yeah the bottom line, which is a good thing to do. But it also kind of started this this whole mixing beer. Some people call it a, a shandy, but mm-hmm. we like the the rattler. That's a just a fun obscure term
0: it's, yeah and it gives you a chance to tell a story too absolutely everybody loves hearing a story well i'm going in i i've had the tapache you gave me a taste of it on its own i loved it so next time i'm in i'm going to go for the rattler do it all right i want to ask you we are going to run out of time here To do some fun things. So can you hang out for a couple minutes and we'll do some extra podcast content and people listening now will be able to find that via the iTunes store. Just search for Judd's Napa Valley Show. All the past episodes end up there you can hear them at your own convenience and they're free. So hang out for a bit. But I want to ask you here on the air, like what, um, I don't know, what do you, what's the direction? Like, what do you see? What are some new things you want to get into? Where do you want to go? Food-wise, career-wise, geographically, philosophically. I don't care how you answer that. I'm just saying you can take that however you want. Like what's on the horizon?
1: Well, I think the, the fermenting is just kind of a small part of what we really like to do and what I'd really like to do. And I think that just bring the customers closer to the the, the methods and the products that we use. Mm-hmm. And I think – Getting people excited about something as simple as sauerkraut is, is, is a start. <laughs> and you got me. <laughs> of
0: sauerkraut, of all things, you know, uh, uh, Steve sando has been in here. Mm-hmm. And I commend him for making beans exciting. Absolutely. Like, right? you, this is a man made beans exciting. And you're a dude that's, to me, making fermented cabbage <laughs> exciting to me and, and i I just love it when people come in and they have this energy about something they can they can talk about it with enthusiasm and I just buy right in and i 'm so glad I do because otherwise i 'd think, okay, sauerkraut, what but now I understand it a little better and i 'm all the more oh it 's i don 't know if i 'm passionate about it, but i 'm definitely enthusiastic about it, and I
1: want to learn more about it and do it and eat it and enjoy it and Go on. I'm taking up your time. I'm sorry. I I think as long as people are becoming aware of these things, I think that's Mm -hmm. the start. And I think that, you know, the the whole farm to table movement started years ago, but it's becoming more and more real. You know, we we get a lot of our stuff from wonderful farmers. We even have one here in Napa who has a small farm out on the avenues, and she's bringing us the strawberries that go on our strawberry shortcake. Mm. And just things like that, I think, tasting what a real May strawberry tastes like, it's a whole different. Product,
0: there's something to be said for that too because you're you're tasting something that's in season, grown locally. We were just in France for this uh, uh, Judds Hill Wine Club trip, and really they don't they don't go for things that aren't in season. Like the, in the stores, and the, a couple times the chef would come out to the table. You know, on our first day in Paris, he came and said, "We just got asparagus. It's like the first delivery of asparagus of the season." You know, do you want, you want some like, of course. Absolutely. And it was wonderful. And then we had a similar experience with strawberries. That's what reminded me, you know, you can't go to the store. I'm told I don't spend enough time in France. No, but I'm, I'm told it's, you can't, or it's difficult to go to a store off season and find things flown in from another hemisphere of the world. Right. They're, they're really only going to have what's available grown fresh and they'll
1: celebrate it at that time. Uniquely American, American exceptionalism. Is to be, have would have a tomato in the middle of November, Yeah. demanded on your burger. Yeah, but okay. we're, we, we let's change that. You know, let's let's go toward more. I think more important than organic is seasonal mm-hmm. and local. You know, it, eat what you can that can be grown locally, and preserve what you can so you can eat it later in the year. Bringing bringing back the old methods, I think, is kind of what we're doing. And on that note, my friend. We're going to leave it
0: there. I think it's a good point to make. But hang out. We're going to keep talking. Okay. we got to go to the next show now live on the air, but we're going to keep recording and put it on the end of the podcast. Connor Esser is the chef de cuisine at Kitchen Door here at the Oxbow Public Market in Napa. And uh, I've been enjoying your cooking and our uh, talks about different things like fermenting for years and years. The dude loves rosé, so if you see him in there, you know – Throw him a bottle of that, and maybe you'll end up with a jar of uh, dilly beans uh, in gratitude. Who knows? I'm not trying to speak for you. I'm just Your, saying. Judd is not lying. I'm I, just I do saying. love rosé. Thanks for coming in. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. All right, Connor. We're off the air. This is all additional podcast content now. So you alluded to this, and I want to follow up because I'm intrigued. You said you were, you were recruited. I'm tripping up over my braces here. It's been months, and I'm still having a hard time speaking with these. You were recruited – not by the Culinary Institute of America but by the Central Intelligence Agency that CIA this is true different CIA yeah what can you tell this story I can
1: and I'll be okay later nobody's gonna come I, out hope, for me. I you know I hope that they uh, you'll be okay. they're, they're unaware of of this conversation who knows all right I'm gonna trust you on this let's uh let's hear the story so I was at a wedding um, <laughs> and I'm I'm just meeting people from the other side of the family that I didn't know and yeah. and uh, this is about a month before I head down to South America, and <laughs> Good I inter- I'm introduced to the you know the uncle or whoever this guy is, and yeah. he's an old older gentleman, and he then comes back to me and pulls me aside and says, "So I hear you're going to Chile." Oh no, and I said, <laughs> "Well, yeah, I am. You know, that I'm I'm going to go work in kitchens." He's like, "You're you're going to go work in the kitchens in Chile? Are you have you had the food there?" And I, I said, "No, well, that's the point, you know." And he said, "Well." Would you be interested in just, you know, talking to me for a little bit? And so he pulls me farther aside and he huh. kind of proposes that I call this guy and meet this gentleman and, and uh, follow through on some some cards that he hands me. And they wanted me to be somewhat of an asset to, uh, to just be down there and, and, and be able to contact me. I... I declined. Wow. Uh, I, I just, it, it, it at first, I, it didn't seem real, but this gentleman was very much real. Uh, he was an ex, ex, uh, intelligence officer. No kidding. Uh, they weren't asking you to carry anything down there for them or? No, they were just going just to have me some call, eyes call some and- numbers and they might give me some, you know, go, go here and tell us what's going on there. I, I was in an area where there was some. The Mapuche, which are the native tribe down there, and they're Mm. the only tribe, I believe, that's never been fully conquered. They still kind of hold their own independence down there in Chile. Mm. And there is somewhat of an extremist element to them, some people who still kind of maybe – Conflict with the Chilean government. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what exactly they wanted me to be looking into. Chile is a pretty benign country these days.
0: Okay, but
1: uh, wow, I can only imagine the the intrigue that would have ensued,
0: and probably maybe better for you that you had just stuck to the
1: the cooking. The cooking.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, he,
1: my my dad always urged me to. Why why didn't you do that? That would have been so cool. Oh but, well. I am not depends sure on what that. cool is all about. Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're safe. I'm glad you're cooking delicious food and uh, spreading the message of what, you know, responsible and local agriculture can bring to the table, so to speak. As far as good food goes, we have had this discussion in the past, but I wanna, I know the answer to the question. I already know the answer. So normally at this point in the show, I would get... A little personal. A little more personal than I normally would. Okay. But you and I have talked about this, so this isn't going to come as much of a surprise. Right. But I would normally ask my guest, do you go nuts for donuts? Ooh. And I know that you do. I do. We, we've talked about this. It uh, really came to the fore uh, over the summer. I came back from a road trip with a big pink box from Randy's Donuts, the famous Donut place in Los Angeles with a gigantic donut on top. I remember these. <clears throat> yeah. And they make a fine donut. I was particularly struck by their apple fritters. though. Yes. They may have been the best apple fritters I've ever had. And that started a whole conversation about the really good donuts we get here in Napa. And I'm, I'm a donut aficionado. Yes. I'm just going to go out and say, I'm going to toot my own horn. I know a good donut. And I will stand... By the statement, stick to my guns, as it were, that Napa Valley has some of the best donuts going. If you go to Buttercream Bakery, Happy's Donuts, Happy's. you're, you're going to get some good donuts. I, I I would agree with that. So with that in mind, and we had this discussion about certain donuts over at Buttercream and certain donuts over at uh, Happy's. You said you're really fond, I think, of the, was it the fritter at Happy's?
1: I am a fan of... A lot of what she does at Happy. Okay. Uh, they do good work. They do, they do. And and I am partial to the old cake donut. I mean I am a just a, a cake donut and black coffee guy. Okay. So I'm about to
0: bring something to your attention. Okay, I will pay attention yeah. to this. Here we go. This is a pink box that says Buttercream Bakery. I see that. However, inside this box is not just Buttercream Bakery products. Oh, wow. This is a blind tasting. So I'm going to tell you, it we have Happies and Buttercream represented okay. in this box. We have chocolate old-fashioned. Oh, man. And apple fritters. So we have Connor Esser, chef de cuisine, kitchen door, formerly Martini House, a Michelin-starred restaurant. This dude is a trained professional food dude take a moment if we need to edit for time we can but I want you to take a moment Here, I can point out let me move this microphone a little so uh, here you got a bag there Take. you can kind of tell maybe you know which is which so take that chocolate old fashioned there and then uh, let's see you can take a piece off of that fritter now there's going to be let's see okay you got that donut then this one here is the other one yeah, and yeah, you whatever you want. And take a piece of this fritter. I'll join you on here. Okay. All right. Okay. Good, nice edge piece there. All right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for this. What do you want to taste first? You want to go fritter, or you want to okay, go? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go fritter. Go fritter first. Okay. I'm gonna taste the same fritter you're tasting, which was the second one. Mm-hmm. All right. We're gonna go second here. All right. Let's see. Get the chewing,
1: it's mm-hmm. a great fritter.
0: That's a good fritter. Not warm. I think it would be uh improved if it was warm, but still pretty delicious. Mm-hmm. Cinnamon comes through. yeah crunchy glaze. All right, going for the other one now. I'm gonna I'm gonna dive right in here. All right. You're a good poker face, too. You're, like, really concentrating on that thing. I'm seeing no emotion. It's all pondering.
1: You're contemplating. So I have a theory. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that I happen to notice about Happy. Mm-hmm. I believe number two was Happy.
0: The second one you tasted? Yes. What is it about it that you... The apples... Apples
1: tend to have a little bit more tooth to them. Mm-hmm. And I could be completely wrong. I haven't had a buttercream in a long time. So you also I admit- just took an edge piece. You didn't take like a, I, this is thinner, but I, I just, I've noticed when I have her, uh, fillings, the fruit fillings have a lot more texture to them. Okay. I'm still chewing cause I can't stop. I like them both.
0: I could be completely off base. In this case you are. Actually, it's, it's the opposite, but I think you didn't catch the center. Yeah, that one was the the buttercream. And I found the happiest to have more of the cinnamon, at least a piece mm-hmm. I got running through it. I got much more – that I can I'm choking working. on it. Much more of that nice cinnamon spice.
1: Well, I believe – you know,
0: I do believe you.
1: I don't think you're, you're oh, no, bamboozling no, no. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mess not, with you. You're this not a is serious, This is
0: serious business. Should we go to the chocolate old-fashioned? I think we should. All right, let's do a little taste. Notice I didn't ask what you prefer. I just uh, – I'm going to put you on the spot there in front of everybody. All right, so which one are you taking? This is
1: the okay. Here's the first. This
0: is the first. The that's the first one you took. Okay, I know which one that is. I'll, I'll, I'll have the same.
1: Mm-hmm. I already think I know which is which, with only tasting one. hmm But again, I am not fully versed in buttercream. Wow. Okay.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Now we'll go to the second. I'm I'm feeling confident about this Feel confident? Okay. No, you look
0: like you're nodding. You got a smile on your face. You are feeling good? I'm going to say this one right here, this first one,
1: Mm -hmm. is happy. No way. (laughs) Because... The lemon. Okay, so there's lemon in this. Yeah? I didn't catch that.
0: Here's how you tell. The darker chocolate color wise is buttercream. Is the buttercream. Uh-huh. how about that? The lighter and
1: um. well I'm just completely off base. Well it's subtle. I like she puts a little bit of lemon zest in one of her one of her donuts. Is all right? And maybe I'm just, it is a bit early Well, still for me, for eating.
0: If you prefer, we don't air this part of the segment. No. <laughs> I, you No, know, we haven't asked if you had a preference, but now you know which is which, so mm-hmm. it's, it's tainted. So we, we can't even go there fairly. No, no worries. But both a good donut. I um, mean. Absolutely. If I was served either of these at a party. All in. Absolutely. All in. I still stand by my statement that Napa Valley makes and some of the best donuts. I agree with you. That are out there. Phenomenal. And you can certainly take more of these home if you want. Thanks for playing along. Coffee. Now, the coffee at Happy's. I haven't had it. Oh, you haven't? Ah. That's fun. I like going in there and getting a A drip and a little whatever donut strikes my fancy of the day. And then they have Farmer Brothers Coffee, which I wasn't familiar with until we did a family road trip last winter. Mm -hmm. Went right down the Central Valley. Uh, Well, started Sacramento, went into Gold Country, then down Fresno, Bakersfield, and just kind of saw what was interesting in these places that most people seem to just drive through. And I yes. Said, what if we stopped? Maybe there's interesting things. And we Love actually, it. I talked about it on another episode, so I won't get into it now, but <clears throat> had some fun adventures. But of course, we tasted donuts wherever we went. And there were a couple uh, coffee shops, donut places, pie shops that had this Farmer Brothers coffee, which i had never heard of. Apparently, it's big in the Central Valley, and maybe here too, but I liked it. And Happy's has that too. Mm, there you go. I don't know the story. I need to dig deep, but they've got good coffee, good donuts. We talk about buttercream often,
1: but Happy's is worth a shot, too. I agree. And, and, and know, nice folks. Both locally owned and, and run. So family can't family
0: them. run, family, absolutely. Operations locally owned. We love that. Okay, so we know you go nuts for donuts. And now it's time to play everyone's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Oh, Lauren had to go. That's usually, I'm looking over here. This is where he says, this is Mad Libs. So, sorry, Lauren. That's a weak imitation, but... Uh, <laughs> We're gonna play a Mad Lib style fill in the blank word game with Chef Connor Esser. Uh, you know how this works. I'm just gonna ask you for a part of speech, you're gonna fill in the blank. We'll read the story back to you to great hilarity and all will be fun and dandy. Are you ready? I, I think so. I'm now hiccuping with his delicious sugary chocolate cinnamon apple hiccups. It's wonderful. <laughs> See if I can get through this. I need that coffee. Can I just drink the brine out of these you dilly could, beans? Yeah, That'll crack, crack it hiccups. Up and- Okay, here we go. The first thing I am need from you is an adjective. Okay. Goopy. Goopy. That's a good one. A noun. Actually, you'd be good at this. I'll bet you're probably writing menus and having to come up with descriptions for things. Yes. Okay, so I'm not worried here. A noun. A thing.
1: Wiffle ball.
0: <laughs> Wiffle ball. <clears throat> All right, that'd make like a fun dessert name, wouldn't it? Could you use that? I mean, sure. it has, it has their snowballs, and you could be like kitchen door Something signature has holes in it. The holy wiffle ball is lighter than it it should be. Yeah, like a puffed beignet type thing. With, yeah. Anyway, I like it. I don't know. I just like the word wiffle ball, and I like dessert. Mm. <laughs> okay, here we go. A noun. Soccer cleat. One. Just one soccer cleat. Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> an adjective? wispy, wispy. I like that, too. I can't okay. wait to see where this is going. A plural noun. More than one thing.
1: I'm going to be descriptive. How about dirty baseball pants? <laughs> you got the hang of this, man. All
0: right. Dirty baseball pants. Ooh, okay. Careful now. A verb ending in I-N-G. Pouting. Pouting. I almost wrote poutine, which is Ooh, another one of my favorite dishes. Delicious. Yeah. Great contribution from our friends to the north. Yes, Great indeed. Canadian dish. But pouting. I'm still going to read a poutine, I'm sure, because I'm always thinking about food. Pouting. Pouting. Got it. <clears throat> I'm never pouting when I'm enjoying poutine. No. Especially with a good Canadian beer. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's so good. And some um, if the poutine has some Montreal smoked meat on it, all the better. An adjective. Stinky. <laughs> I love it. You're like in third grade here. Which is the best way to approach this game. Another noun. Washcloth. Washcloth. Another adjective. How about slimy? How about it? Let's do it. And finally, one last noun.
1: Mason jar.
0: Oh, like what you pickle things in. Yeah. Okay. Mason jar. All right. Chef Connor Esser of Kitchen Door, a Todd Humphreys restaurant at the Oxbow Public Market. Earlier today, I was on the internet, and on the Oxbow website, there is a description. Well, they describe pretty much all the merchants and vendors and folks who are doing business at the Oxbow. So I found the description for your restaurant kitchen door, Okay, and you've now just rewritten it via this Mad Libs game. I've got the hiccups from these this donuts. This is
1: going to be <clears throat> tremendous. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. All right.
0: So this is from the Oxbow public market website. Okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> Boy, those donuts. <laughs> Give me that pickle, brine. All right. Oxbow Public Market is proud to be the home of Kitchen Door, a Todd Humphreys restaurant. All right. Here we go. Entering Kitchen Door, guests are embraced by the warmth and energy of the goofy... Oh, geez, I've already messed it up. <laughs> Let's start that again. <clears throat> Take two. Entering Kitchen Door, guests are embraced by the warmth and energy of the goopy, ball fired rotisserie <laughs> <laughs> and, and oven in Chef Todd Humphrey's kitchen. Kitchen Door features a soccer-cleat-driven menu <laughs> of wispy American food <laughs> created with local and seasonal dirty baseball pants, <laughs> Where do you get these seasonal I don't even want to know where you get the seasonal seasonal local dirty baseball <laughs> it's pants? Be no, don't at least. don't. please don't answer that. some things are best left unsaid. Okay, created with local and seasonal dirty baseball pants, selected to complement wine regions and meant for pouting. Oh. <laughs> that kind of makes me sad that someone would look at your menu and pout. Pout. Okay. Oh, here's some advice when uh selecting what to eat. Begin with stinky soup. Yes. <laughs> or Beef washcloth. That sounds (laughs) absolutely delicious. You guys actually do – Probably on special. You do a wonderful beef carpaccio, which, you know, it's very flexible. You wouldn't use it. It would fall apart, but maybe that's the closest. Yeah. All right. Stinky soup or beef washcloth and end with slimy mushroom bread pudding or soft serve
1: mason jar. Mm. Slimy mushrooms are – my favorite. So you can make a bread pudding out of a slimy you mushroom. You could. It that actually be tremendous. Probably would turn out
0: not so bad at all.
1: Wonderful. My friend, thank you much for being here. Thank you for having me. I look forward to seeing you in the kitchen. And I w- look forward to seeing you in the dining room. I'll bring rosé.
2: Beautiful. This is Lauren Mole speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Gil Lamar production. Judd's Napa Valley Show.